Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to the Syrupcast, Mobile Syrup's Canadian tech-focused podcast. I'm Patrick O'Rourke and Brad Bennett, a man who continues to refer to himself as the bad boy of tech and actually recently mentioned that that is who he is on Twitter, is once again across the internet from me. He looks like he joins maybe like a biker gang or something. Yeah, I decided I decided to go full bad boy this week. Ever since I wanted to get that skull chain for my Apple Watch that I couldn't get, I've just been like, I need to embody this to tell people that they need to make me the skull chain. So I figured this week I'd just start the podcast off with a sight gag, you know, try to bring people into the podcast oh, dude, from the dude, audio version. Yeah, it's a sight gag. So hopefully Excellent. people will switch Excellent. from audio to video. Check us out on YouTube. It's it's definitely worth it just to see you in a... Is it a leather jacket? Yeah, this is my girlfriend's leather jacket. You can see it's oh, perfectly sized. It's well. beautiful. I love it. Thank you. Just incredible. It's beautiful. This week, we have John Lamont once again on the podcast with us. How are you doing, John? Doing pretty good. I'm back. It's gray outside my favorite color it I is mean, absolutely disgusting time when it was white out because of all the snow yeah that's did true. it snow yeah snow when podcast, we were doing the last spot the snowing podcast yeah interesting, interesting. upgrade weather upgrade <laughs> slightly yeah i'm sure my backyard is a, a literal swamp right now i'm not looking forward to looking at that yeah i guess i'll just mention it because i mentioned it almost every podcast but the grass has been growing in my backyard it's here it's there it's a lawn now and i'm excited that's exciting. We should we should embed a photo of your grass in the podcast. Yeah, honestly, if I if I have a before and after picture, I'll put one up when I edit it. It is impressive. I've seen it. Nice. So once again, this is this isn't a gardening podcast, unfortunately, as as much as I would love that to be the case. This week, we're talking about two particular devices and two stories that recently hit the site. My hands-on sort of review with Apple's AirTags, and then John's hands-on with the Galaxy Book Pro, Samsung's latest laptop. But as always, before we get to that, Bennett, please hit us with the hottest news of the week. News-wise, I don't know, there hasn't been too much happening outside of the Bill C-10 stuff and the Epic versus Apple stuff. But just before that, in terms of what we've got on the site, we've got some couple of cool features. We've got one about porting your number over. So if you want to change plans, we kind of like walk you through that and give you some links on you know, how to check out the carrier's FAQs and figure all that stuff out. And then also Brad Shankar, our premier video game reporter, I guess. Has premier, I like that. Yeah, has written a pretty stellar interview with Tim Schafer, like legendary game designer about Psychonauts 2 and how the game is like trying to tackle mental health issues. It's honestly a great read. Definitely just like if you're looking for something to, if you're looking for something to read, it's definitely worth worth checking out. Back into the news. So I think we'll start with Epic versus Apple because I think that's something that we're all the most familiar with. If you haven't heard a while ago, Epic Games and Apple got into a lawsuit. Basically, Epic was like, we are tired of paying 30% cuts to app stores, you know? So if Fortnite is in the app store or Steam or wherever, a lot of these just app stores and game stores online, 
they generally have to give a 30% cut of every game sale and all of the in-app transactions. So they don't like that. They want to pay less. And Epic has kind of put their money where their mouth is and is spending millions and millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars to fight Apple to try and change that. Pat, I know you were reporting on it. Do you want to talk about it a little more? Yeah, I I haven't really reported on like the core stuff behind it, but there's like a lot of interesting information that came out of just the beginning of the hearing yesterday. So one of the stories that I wrote, for example, in order for crossplay with Fortnite to work on PlayStation, Fortnite and Epic in turn actually give Sony a cut of in-app purchases that are made on other platforms. There's like a whole document that was revealed. So that was like an interesting that came out because that's a bit of a bit of a sweetheart deal um, with Sony. That was one of them. And then the other thing that came out too, just because like these hearings are so massive and they're pretty boring. Like I listened to it for a solid uh, two hours yesterday and it's like very simple things like defining what Fortnite is, defining what a battle royale is. It's stuff that we know, right? But that yeah. like, the people that are part of those hearings don't, don't don't understand, right? So then the other thing that came out was like how much Epic paid for those free games it gives away in, in the Epic store, uh, Epic Game Store. And like, surprise, surprise, they give big publishers way more money than they give independent developers. There were some games in that list that were like shockingly low. Like there was the remake of Metro uh, oh, yeah. 2023. Yeah. yeah, Redux. It was it was $0, which, which was a little surprising. And then there's stuff like Fez. They only got 75000 There's like, it, it's just interesting. It's like, it's almost like seeing like how the pizza is made in a way. Mm. It's like stuff that we've never seen before. And I think that you're going to keep seeing that as, as this hearing goes on. Yeah, all the news that broke, uh, I think it was last week or maybe two weeks ago, about how AQ wanted to bring iMessage to yeah, Android there's that back too. in 2013. That came out of these hearings too. So yeah, like the curtain is getting pulled back on a lot of these things. And these interesting stories are really interesting yeah yeah it's it's fascinating on on the game thing with uh them giving away the games i saw i think the figure was 11 million dollars worth of or they spent about 11 million dollars on games and they got like 3 million more users on their store so it worked out to something like two dollars and 37 cents spent per new user which is like a pretty low amount of money realistically it's for like Epic nothing to, spend to get people to use their store Exactly. Because the Epic Game Store has a 12% commission for anything sold on their platform. So any of these new users, all they had to do was buy at least one $20 game and Epic would have made their money back. And most games sure. are a fair bit more than that. Yeah. So just just an insane, like when you do the math on it, it's insane how little they had to spend to get people on the store. And that was only for like the last like couple of years or something like that. Like that wasn't even the full list of games mm-hmm. i think i think once the hearing is like a little more underway we'll probably do an episode focused specifically on that because i have have some hot takes about stuff but cool. um yeah i won't get into any of that now it's it's just like a fascinating like peek behind the curtain at how mm-hmm. the video game industry and app stores operate um and it's like almost like a we're, we're probably we may see this again but this is like the first time we've ever seen this much information revealed about behind the scenes deals and stuff like that Especially with Apple, which is like a company that's been historically very uh, silent on the behind the scenes of pretty much everything that they do. Definitely really interesting. And I guess really the only one other thing I wanted to say about the Epic v. Apple thing is 
you know, a lot of people are talking about the 30% cut, but I don't think that's really the focus. I think the main kind of focus of this whole thing is whether or not Apple's app store is a monopoly because the 30% cut doesn't matter if you have six stores that are competing because that's going to drive down that 30% cut, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you look at like the PC gaming app marketplace, there's Steam, there's Epic Game Store, you know, there's a whole bunch of other stores, EA's store, the Xbox app, right? There's all these different places where you can buy games. And some of them, most of them were just offering a 30% cut, but Epic is now at 12%. Microsoft is lowering their cut for PC games on Windows. So there's all these different like things that are changing in that sphere. So, you know, I think really it just comes down to whether or not the app store could be considered a monopoly. And if it is, what's going to change in regards of letting more stores on. There was, there was other interesting stuff too that, that Tim Sweeney, Epic CEO, talked about during the hearing. And it was like, there's a, a big focus, at least with his statements, on the amount of control that Apple has over the App Store, just in terms of like refunds, customer service. Like it, it's it's all controlled by Apple. So that that was like more, I, I just, I, I don't think I had heard that angle of the argument against the App Store's monopoly before. So that that was also interesting to to hear more details about. One of the things I saw yesterday just about the PC space was apparently like if your game is listed on Steam, you can't lower the cost of it anywhere else unless you also lower the cost of it on Steam. Oh, so really? Steam is kind of like the tide that keeps all game prices the same. Yeah. Um, That's so crazy. Yeah, there's like, I mean, as this antitrust, happen, antitrust stuff happens with like Epic v. Apple, it's also kind of happening trickle down all over the sort of industry. And yeah, it's, it's like really shaking things up. I don't know if it'll change because... I don't think people like I don't think consumers care, but I hope so. I hope it changes. Well, that was part of like Epic trying to to weaponize its I don't know, weaponize is a harsh word, but like trying to No, it's perfect. inspire its its fan base to like rise up yeah, against better, Apple yeah. with those ads and stuff that were were funny, right? Mm-hmm. So, I think that's that was a very smart move by Epic to try to get the average Fortnite player to care about something that in the grand scheme of things probably won't really affect them very much yeah i think that steam tidbit is also very interesting that it there's like the the mandatory fee changes like if you're going to lower your fee or your game price on another platform you have to lower it on steam too it doesn't surprise me i i didn't know that was a thing but it doesn't surprise me i feel like amazon used to do something similar or has been accused of doing similar things to try and like basically stop businesses from undercutting the cost on that platform right because mm-hmm. that rule wasn't there you could have you you'd see a company go okay you can buy our game on steam for 70 dollars, or if you go buy it on the epic store it'll be cheaper because epic's taking less of a cut from us so we're going to lower our price yeah or right? we or we are epic so we'll just sell our game cheaper on our store because we just want to bring people in the door but yeah. You well, Epic's a little Steam. bit different because I don't think any of their games are available outside of their store, at least on PC, right? Oh, yeah, probably not. You're right. Mm-hmm. Fortnite power. Anyway, we should probably move on because yeah. we don't have too much time today. Yeah, yeah we're on a tight thing. deadline today as, as we talk about Epic for, for 20 minutes and it's not no. even a real podcast topic. It's a big it's a big thing. No, it is 100%. Though. Yeah, yeah. I think it's worth talking about. Um, the next thing is this bill C10, which is kind of happening. The liberals announced, I think I believe it was today that they're kind of tweaking it to sort of mean that like, hey, we're not uh, we're not trying to um, like uh, censor social media posts from people. We're just trying to get like 
big companies that are not paying into the broadcast fund, which essentially helps fund like Canadian content and the CRTC and things like that. They're just, they're trying to like back away from some of the wording they were using, which is, is probably for the best. If you've been following Bill C-10, it basically is like, hey, Netflix doesn't pay into the media fund because it's an online broadcaster, not a traditional broadcaster. I'm not even sure if it's defined as a broadcaster, but they're basically trying to define places like Netflix and other online big media powerhouses as broadcasters. So they then have to pay into the Canadian media fund to basically fund the CRTC and Canadian content and other kind of stuff like that. So we'll see how that shakes out, but it's... uh, I think the wording of C10 has drawn a lot of criticism because yeah. fr- from like free speech advocates and stuff like that, just because it seems like it could be a very easy gateway into regulating social media posts and user generated content and, and stuff like that, which is definitely a concern. But I think one of the aspects that's getting lost in a lot of the conversation around Bill C10 right now is that it's not exactly the most effective way to get Canadian content funding from, you know, companies like Netflix that aren't necessarily paying into the broadband fund because Bill C-10 doesn't really do anything to change the CanCon rules or anything like that that already exists. It's just kind of a weird workaround to make these companies pay into a fund that it will effectively mean that funding goes to big broadcasters in Canada like, you know, Bell and Rogers. So... It's not really the most effective way to actually help Canadian creators. It just kind of is a new way to siphon money from outside broadcasters and give it to Canadian broadcasters. Yeah, I think in the when I've been reading about it, the biggest like worry that comes to my mind is not like, oh no, the CRTC is going to be stifling my tweets because I'm pretty sure they don't care about my tweets <laughs> or even want to be monitoring all Canadians' tweets and stifling them. But it's more like, will these big these big companies just like raise prices for Canadians if they have to pay more or will they like just stop doing things in Canada because they now have to pay more to do things here. And that's, that's more what worries me rather than like the government coming after my tweets. So we'll see what happens, but yeah. The last thing I have in the hot news is Tim Hortons revamping their uh, drive-through signs. They've already done a bunch of them. You may have already seen them, but they're using like Samsung TVs basically turned sideways as their signs. They said they're vandalism proof, which remains to be seen, I don't believe. And also that they're much better to look at. But I'm also pretty sure I've seen these signs because I know that there are some already like embedded. And I'm pretty sure the off angle viewing is just atrocious. And I remember hating that, but I could be wrong. So So these are the signs that show like the menu, correct? Yeah, the menu signs in the drive through specifically. Pretty sure the one like near my house that I still go to sometimes has that, I think. Do you know if the off-angle viewing is really bad? Uh, it's impossible. I can't see the menu at all. <laughs> if, if it yeah. is that TV, like, I don't know for sure. It just looks brand new, like it was recently installed. Yeah, then that would be the Samsung ones probably. But yeah, I'm pretty sure I've seen them too. And it's just like, w- the way TVs work is they sort of stack pixels in one way or the other. And if you just turn it sideways without stacking the pixels in the, also stacking the pixels then sideways, the viewing angles become very shallow. Like, I have a monitor, a regular, like, monitor in a rectangle. This like a as people have monitors and then I have one in portrait mode beside and the one in portrait mode, it's like, it works if I look on it. And then if I step over here, the viewing angles get a lot worse because of the way that the pixels are set up. And it's just kind of annoying and something that I wish they would have thought of, but you know, my TV's like that too. Yeah. Brighter screens. And yeah, that's about it for, for hot news. Unless anyone else has anything. No, let's, let's talk about the air tag. Let's go into air tag mode then. Yeah. 
I am waiting to receive all of the new Apple products. <laughs> the only one that I've gotten my hands on so far is the the AirTag. First, it's incredibly weird for me to call it AirTag and not AirTags after writing leaks about it for like two years, calling it the AirTags. That's very strange. So it's it, it's interesting. It's like an in it's a, it's a small device in the grand scheme of things. It doesn't matter that much to Apple's ecosystem. But it was probably one of the devices that I have been looking forward to the most just because I've been writing about it for like three years at this point. It was basically revealed in a Apple support video like two years ago. It's rumored to have been ready forever and they've just been waiting for the right time to push it out. So it was exciting to finally actually get my hands on it. And generally, like as long as you are an Apple user, like you use the iPhone even if you're just an iPhone user and you use like PC or whatever, it is probably the best tracker that I've encountered as long as you use the iPhone because obviously it's locked to, to Apple's devices. There's some stuff with NFC that you can do with an Android device that we'll talk about later. But but generally speaking, like the build quality is great. feels awesome. It looks cool. I would say that the stainless steel back is going to get absolutely scratched to hell very, very quickly. And it's going to look pretty pretty junky. Um, at some point, it's already starting to look like that. I have one on like a keychain with my with my uh, car just, keys. Just a beautiful metal patina. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's <laughs> a, good, a good way to put it—a patina for sure. <laughs> I, I'm looking forward to writing my own story about how to give your air tag the the perfect patina. Yeah, <laughs> scratch it up with some sandpaper. And then there's like the ultra wideband stuff, right? Which gives it a unique feature that competitors like Tile and Chipolo and stuff like that don't yet have. I know that the Tile is working on something with ultra wideband. It could be just as good as what Apple has, but right now that really gives the AirTag an advantage. It just makes it way easier to to find stuff. Like through a combination of different sensors in the phone, it it literally gives you an arrow pointing to where your AirTag is located. Like I I'm we're obviously um we can't really go anywhere right now, so I haven't tested out the Find My network. Generally speaking, my experience over the last two weeks with using the AirTag and just like playing around and experimenting with it has been pretty flawless. I saw a video about a Dutch YouTuber who like sent one in the mail and just like tracked it as it went through the mail with the Find My network and it worked well. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, a little like sketch because you're just like, I don't know. I guess it's not really that sketch, but it just seemed kind of weird. But yeah, it worked. So Find My network seems pretty good as we imagined it would be. Like you would assume it is because there's there's millions of iPhones out there. There's millions of, of Macs. There's millions of Apple devices. Obviously, that's in North America, right? Like in other regions of the world, the iPhone is not the most popular. Like in, in Canada, to my understanding, it's like a 50-50 split. In the US, it's a little less than 50-50. But like somewhere like India, right? Like the iPhone isn't extremely popular there. Android's the dominant operating system. Obviously, the Find My Network might not be quite as strong. Yeah, that's something to keep in mind as well. Yeah, but then again, like who knows if the tile networks are as strong there either, you know what I mean? So Could be, I, I don't know. Yeah, but no, the AirTags are super cool. I was going to ask, so did you get a couple of the Apple cases with yours? How how do they hold up? How do they seem? So I didn't I didn't get them when I did the the initial hands-on, but they did come I think a cool. day later or something like that, which which sucked. Uh they feel high quality. They're like what you would expect from Apple. AirTag just slots in them. I, I have one of the longer keychains and then one of the smaller ones. I think yeah. blue, blue and red. The one thing I kind of wish is that there was like like a piece of transparent I I don't know, material on the back just to prevent the stainless steel side from getting scratched to pieces. Like mm-hmm. if you're putting it in your pocket with keys, like we, t- we already talked about this, it, it's yeah. going to look 
ridiculous. And I, I get that it's just a tracking device, so it really doesn't matter. But it just seems like that would have been like a forward thinking thing on Apple's part. But it, it's they're also crazy expensive. Like I think they're they're more, they're more than the AirTag itself. Yeah, I think so. How long before you think uh, some accessory maker puts out essentially a screen protector type thing, but for the back of the AirTag? I'm honestly disappointed in myself that I haven't looked for one yet because I'm like the screen protector king and the case king here. Like <laughs> I should have looked on Amazon. I, yeah. I think I don't know if I've talked about it on the podcast once. I thought about getting ear covers for the AirPods. Uh, oh, I, yeah, I think you sent those pictures. Of those and Just because I'm like terrified of like them falling off my head or something when I'm walking around my house or something, which is entirely like it's stupid. Like it, it it's not going to happen. I, I don't need to worry about it. But I remember looking on Amazon and like, there's cases for that. Like there's clear silicone cases and like little cases with like bunny ears on them and stuff. So huh, I'm like, sure someone's going to come out with like something for the air tags. Yeah, probably. There's so much uh, Apple accessories, except for that Apple Watch skull chain I was talking about before. They only oh. make that for the small Apple Watch and very upset. Oh, that's another day. I was looking for a 400 word story about that one. Man, I literally was looking up all kinds of like Apple Watch necklace chains you could hang an Apple Watch from, but there's no like, they're all just like, super weird skull <laughs> one which was just like weird in a fun way but this question kind of can go to both you guys i don't even know if you saw this last week pat but people have been like drilling holes through the top of oh, the air tags because they're like screw up i'm not buying a, a case that's more expensive than my air tag i'll just drill a hole and put a keychain on it myself and uh it works because there's like a tiny bit of plastic cool. that you can go through near the edge with a really small drill bit um what do you guys think about that it, that's like a huge design shortcoming right like it's strange that they don't have that tile has that that was one of the things i noted in my hands-on in, in terms of the design like it looks sick but just put a little hole in it just put yeah. the little hole so like, it's cool to hear people coming up with their own solutions yeah definitely a bummer that they did not do that it's a little bit tricky to do i i saw the story and basically they watched a, or some guy watched a teardown of the air tag on youtube and thought oh it looks like there's a little bit of a gap and tried drilling it and was like yeah it works i would imagine it voids the water resistance and probably oh, also your warranty so maybe not the best thing to do but also if you really want to save that money you know mm -hmm. i guess go for it it's yeah. Yeah, I'm really surprised that Apple did not put in some sort of thing, but also it's easy money if there isn't one and you have to buy an accessory. So I would suggest people like look on Amazon. Like I'm going to Google live on the pod. Yeah, Amazon search live on the podcast cool right now. There's got to be tons, right? There's this one, the coolest one I saw. We should actually just all talk. If you've looked at them, we should all talk about the coolest ones we've seen. But the coolest one I saw, it looks like a little pouch almost. So you put it in and then it's sticky on one side. So you just oh, like, that's it becomes neat. flat and then you could like, stick it to like underneath your bike seat or like stick it to the back of an iPad. Although that would be not make sense. Like the tile also have tile has one that's sticky on the back, right? I can't yeah. remember what the name of it is. It's very similar to that. It's the spot, maybe tile spot. So uh, I might I'll check that there? as well. Know, just... But yeah, there's a sticky one. And I thought that was really smart. That's the coolest one I've seen. I, I saw a tweet of somebody who just duct taped their air tag <laughs> to the back of a Siri remote. Yeah. I saw that too. <laughs> They should it's called the tile put, sticker. Uh, that makes sense. They honestly should put U1 into their Apple TV remotes. Like that would be so smart. Then that would like, be smart. Yeah. Where's the yeah. remote? I think, I think Pat, you wrote a story yeah. about the uh, AirPods Max not having it. Yep. Which, which is, is very disappointing. It's yeah. For, for, something for Apple, which is the company that's like, oh, everything just works. Like that's what they're known for. It blows my mind that they have not incorporated 
their tracking technology into basically all of their small and easy to lose products like the remote and the AirPods and the AirPods Max. Yeah, the the stuff that they're putting the U1 in, in some ways, it like doesn't entirely make sense. Like it's in the Apple Watch Series 6, it's in the iPhone 12 series, and I believe it's also in the iPhone 11 series. To me, it makes sense. You just throw that thing in everything, right? Like what does that hurt? How much would it actually cost you? Probably a ton of money, but like you're already paying so much for these Apple devices, you'd expect them to have the best that their technology is capable of offering. And yeah. on top of that, like it, it's a great platform lock-in feature, right? And we all we all know oh, Apple's all about that platform lock-in about. with iMessage, yeah. right? So the ecosystem. If if all of your Apple products could help you locate all of your other Apple products, like that's a huge lock-in feature that yeah, would just honestly. build on that Apple brand. And then in terms of cases, like I'm just I I just did a very very quick search on Amazon, and like the first one that comes up is 14 bucks. So like if you really want a case for one, don't buy the Apple one, which is usually the, the rule of thumb with stuff, unless you need the official Apple product for whatever reason, just get whatever third party accessories available because it's generally going to be almost as good as what, what Apple has available. There was a Nomad one too that's like a sunglasses strap that like comes on the back <laughs> of the sunglasses and then has like a like where some sunglasses strap have the little like tie thing. So you can tighten them on the back of your head. It's like that, but it's big and you can put an air tag in it. So if you lose your sunglasses, you can find them. I'm going to ask Nomad to send me that. Yeah, honestly, it's pretty sweet. But yeah, I guess just going off what John said about the waterproofing, CNET did like a really cool story. I sent it to you guys before this, but basically they put like an air tag through a washing machine and then they also put one in an ice cube tray and froze it. And it did survive both of those. Nice. Although the the person that did that story was like, hey, if you do get it like really wet or freeze it somehow, it's probably best to like take it off and wipe out the battery compartment because they did notice some water starting water to get inside a little it. bit. But cool to know that they can go through the wash like AirPods. Yeah, AirPods, I've put them through the wash several times by accident, not the case, just the AirPods themselves. And they, they were fine every time, which I was shocked about. I was sure that I had destroyed them. Um, yeah. And that's both the the standard AirPods and the AirPods Pro. So it's it's cool to see that um, that was an emphasis with, with the AirTags too. Yeah, and even when they said they had it in the freezer, like they would kept opening the freezer door before it had completely frozen solid and it was getting very cold, very cold, very cold. And they were still able to ping it, which is like good if you oh, leave it cool. outside in Canadian winter. Although for how many days it will last in a sub-zero, like minus 20 temperatures, that still remains to be seen. But it's uh, nice to know that you have a chance. That would be a fun test. Just throw yeah. it in my backyard in the winter and see what happens. How long it lasts. Just check yeah, every honestly. morning, like try to find it every morning. Yeah, yeah, under the snow. Also, I know you said you you lost an AirTag in your house. Did you ever oh, yeah, find yeah. it? So I got, Apple sent me four. Um, I set up two of them. I put one on my car keys, one on my house keys. And then I had a third one that I was just using for taking pictures and stuff. Yeah. And I was convinced that my cat had like, crawled up on the table and like batted it and like knocked it in a vent or like under a table or something. And I was like scolding. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. My cat, like asking her where it was, and yeah. she's looking at me like I don't speak English. I'm a cat. I don't know what you're talking about. And also, I didn't do it, you narc. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, and then I thought like, okay, where might it be if she didn't mess around with it? Because if she hit it, it would be like in my office somewhere and it 100% wasn't in my office. And I hadn't connected it to my phone, so I couldn't actually look for it that way, which would have been made made a much better story. And then, yeah, I checked my, I have like the iRobot i7 Plus vacuum that has, um, it drives to a dock and then like empties its it's uh, whatever it's vacuumed out of out of the vacuum itself. I, I found it inside that vacuum. I thought that maybe it was like inside the dock and it wasn't. It had just got caught inside the vacuum itself. I'm actually surprised that vacuum can suck up something as big as an AirTag. That pretty good recommendation on the vacuum sl- sliding in here. Wow. Those those two vacuums, the the i7 Plus and I think the other one's called it's the nine something like the S9 or or something like I, that. Is it i9 too? I think. I, no, I, I don't think like it's it. i9. Yeah, no, there's like an S series. Yeah, th- that's like their highest end one. They're they're expensive. This isn't a vacuum podcast. We have other things to talk about that are more important. But they're they're expensive, but they're they're shockingly good. Like they actually will clean your house. They actually suck a ton of dirt up, and they navigate things pretty well. Yeah, the more I've been like growing up into a a man, someday I'll be the bad man of the internet, but not yet. But the more I get there, I'm realizing like the more money you invest in a vacuum, it's pretty clutch. Like I got a nice like standing one that like mounts on the wall, like a Dyson, whatever. Yeah, I got one of those um, too. And it's so much better than my like $200 vacuum that I bought just off the shelf at Walmart a few years ago. It's blows it away. I have a Dyson outsized and like that thing's a grand, I think, but I would argue that it's worth it. Like it, yeah. it's so nice not have to plug in something and it just, it, it sucks up so much more than like a $200 vacuum from Walmart or whatever. Yeah, I would just be going over the carpet. like, And finally, I used to get to the point where I'd be like finishing up the carpet with like a lint roller, like spot cleaning it and the dice yeah. was like, done. Like it was so, so nice. But yeah, I guess moving back onto the questions I have. Do you, so we kind of already touched on this, but the AirTag's definitely outperforming tile. There's no real comparison. Like if you, if you wanted to keep your keys tracked and you had an iPhone, what do you buy? In this stuff that like I've tested. So Tile doesn't have an answer to ultra wideband yet. The design I would say is better than the current Tile. I think the last generation Tile, they had um like the Tile style and sport. And I think it was their last two that didn't have changeable batteries. When they moved Such to the changeable name, battery, dis- sorry? Such a good name, Tile style. That was great. When they moved to, I think that's what they were called. When they moved to the, they don't sell them anymore, but when they moved to the um, ones with changeable batteries, they just, there seemed like there was a drop in quality. Like they just didn't feel as solid. I don't, I don't see that with, with the AirTag. Like the AirTag feels like an Apple device. It's like what you would expect from Apple. Like I personally haven't tried the find my network. I'm hoping to mess around with that more over the next couple of weeks, but I expect mm-hmm. that it will do well. And I know there's like videos of YouTubers hiding them in, in trees and then going on like a scavenger hunt to try to find it. And, and it seems to work really well, just anecdotally from what I've seen from other people. But as usual, like I, I got to put it through its paces uh, myself at some point. But I would say that as long as you're an iPhone user, you're probably better off getting an AirTag than a Tile. And the one thing that we haven't talked about yet, I know we have to move on to the Galaxy book, but the one thing we haven't talked about yet is that even if someone with an Android device finds it through NFC, like a phone number and a little message will appear on their phone. So like, say you lose your keys or something like that, right? And someone has a Galaxy S9, if they put that near the AirTag your phone number and a message like, give me back my keys, you horrible person will appear. And then hopefully they'll contact you and and give it back to you. So it's not it's not entirely useless if an Android user discovers it. But like, obviously, 
you shouldn't be buying a, uh, an AirTag if you own an Android phone and you don't own an iPhone. It just doesn't make sense. You can't use it with it. Well, I think you could. You could log into like iCloud.com and like get that roundabout way to work. Yeah, it just would like be suboptimal for sure. Yeah, you lose the key functionality. Are you able to customize that number? Like I know on my phones, I always, on my Android phones, you can put like a little message on this, on the lock screen. I always put my work email address. Would I be able to put my email address as opposed to my phone number or is it like locked to my phone number? I believe you can put whatever you want. Okay, cool. That's good. Like you can good change to it to, to whatever you want to, whatever you want to have show up, you can make that happen. Cool. Um, yeah, just the last question I have is kind of a fun one. And we already kind of touched on it a bit, but what are like the top things you could think of to AirTag? You know, like keys. Obviously. I want to AirTag my cat. Yeah, that'd be cool. Like put it on her collar. I'm actually, I'm, I'm hoping someone comes out with some kind of like, because I don't want it to get caught on anything, like something small. I would actually consider doing that. Like a little clip one or something. Yeah, like a clip or something like that. I, I used to do it with a tile, but they were always a little too big. And I think that the, the, the AirTag is like slightly smaller and a little thinner. So yeah, it might be a little easier for that. So that would be a fun one. I don't know, my bike, like putting it under the bike seat or something like that. I I, I currently have um the tile sticker, which the, I, the name, I already forgot it, but I think it's called sticker, isn't it? Isn't that what I said? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I have that under the seat. So something like that with an air tag, like we'll duct tape it under there. <laughs> like that, yeah. that would be kind of cool. Yeah, definitely. Any, uh, any fun ideas, John? No, I, I can't think of anything off the top of my head that I would want to air tag except for my car keys, maybe. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. Like the TV remotes you mentioned before, sunglasses, maybe keys, obviously. Like I think Alex and I will probably get some for our keys. Alex has a tile, but I think the battery's dead on it. So time to switch, I guess. They're pretty um, reasonably priced too. That was the thing yeah. that shocked me. Like I thought Apple was going to charge a hundred bucks for them. And I think they're 35 Canadian. Or yeah, it's like a 120 for four. It's not a bad four. price. You know, if you're like a couple or something, you each get two. It's like 50 bucks a pop. It's not bad. Plus, I guess you got to buy cases or drill holes in them, but, you know, not bad. But, uh, yeah, I think that's that's it on AirTags. Unless anyone else has anything else? That's kind no, of what I think no, let's, let's, uh, let's talk about the Galaxy Book Pro. Yeah, I'm interested to learn more about this. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed reading John's review because Windows devices... Was it wasn't a full review. It was a hands-on, sir, yeah. So are, you, you're doing, are you doing a review eventually? Maybe. I don't know. I'll, I'll have to figure that out with Samsung. They only sent me the book pro for like a week. I'm familiar just with to do the hands on. I don't even have it anymore. It's not here. Yeah. So I've been a MacBook user for probably the last 10 years or so. But before that, I only used Windows devices. And since then, I've only really spent time with like Microsoft Surface Line, Surface Pro 3, Surface Pro 4, very briefly like loans from, from Microsoft or whatever. But I did spend time with Samsung's Galaxy Book Ion last year. And like, mm. I thought that it was a really nice looking laptop on, on paper, like seeing it, writing the announcement post, stuff like that. But when I got it, it felt incredibly cheap. Like it had a ton of flex to it. I hated the keyboard. It was it was super powerful. Like it had, I think this, this one even had like a discrete graphics card, but it was also full of like tons of bloatware and stuff like that. I guess just like to start things off, just because this is something that I always care about with laptops, because I know right now we're all working from home, home and stuff like that, but usually you're, you're keep moving them back and forth, right? From your house to work and whatever. What's the build quality like of the, the new Galaxy Book Pro? Like, does it stand up to a MacBook or like what I see as the, I guess, the gold star Windows device Surface product? The build quality is good and bad. I 
didn't try the book Ion like you did last year, but based on your subscription, I would say that Samsung's definitely improved the build quality. The only real issue I ran into with the, I got to try the Galaxy Book Pro, and there's also a Book Pro 360 that's like a two-in-one with the 360 degree hinge, and then just a regular Book Pro. So I tried the middle one, the, sorry, there's a Galaxy Book, Galaxy Book Pro, and Pro 360. I think I said Book Pro twice. I got to try the middle one, the Book Pro, which is just, you know, like your traditional clamshell laptop, and the build quality was pretty solid. The only issue I ran into was the trackpad was a little bit sticky, and I'm not entirely sure what the cause was that is i suspect it had something to do with there being a little bit of flex on the keyboard and palm rest and so i think the trackpad like when you clicked it down it might it could get caught on the edge and wouldn't unclick oh wow really that bad that's awful it it didn't happen all the time uh and Uh, For the most part, I used the Galaxy Book Pro sitting at my desk, and I didn't notice that issue happening when I was working from my desk. I noticed it more like if I was sitting on the couch and I was using it on my lap that that would happen, which is why I think that it had something to do with flex on the palm rest and the keyboard uh, keyboard dock. Uh, But other than that, the build quality was pretty solid. I think most of the chassis was made out of some sort of plastic material, but there wasn't, it was pretty sturdy. Uh, And then the lid uh, on the top of the screen was metal of some kind. I'm not sure what the material is exactly, but overall it looked pretty nice and it felt pretty good in my hands. There wasn't anything that stood out to me. There wasn't a lot of flex in the screen just like a little bit with the keyboard. So the bezels were really cool. Like when you took photos of it, that's something obviously as a MacBook user, Apple's laptops still have massive bezels, right? And it makes them look way older than they actually are. It looked like a futuristic laptop. Like, what was the display quality like? Yeah, for sure. The, the The bezels were really, really nice and small. Some of the smaller bezels I've seen on a laptop, I think some Lenovo laptops I've used recently had about the same size bezels. But a lot of laptops will have like a, a gap with the bezel where the bezel is like a little bit out from the screen. So there's like mm. a difference in depth, which helps when you close it so that the screen isn't pressing up against the keyboard which I know is an issue you've had, Pat, with uh, some of your MacBooks. So you didn't have that on the Galaxy Book, but I also didn't run into the screen issue very much, which was nice. Not that I had it for a huge amount of time to try that, but just in in the short time that I had it, it was good. The actual display itself was disappointing. Uh, Samsung is kind of known for their great screens. So most of the Galaxy Book models have OLED screens, and they're all 1080p. For me, the 1080p resolution doesn't matter like at that screen size there's not it's enough good benefit in in my opinion to having a higher res display it's definitely not worth having a 4k at that size because it's just wasted pixels in my opinion um so it would have been nice to see a 1440p option from samsung but 1080p is fine despite the resolution though like i did notice some really weird kind of blurriness to text and and symbols like in gmail the all the like the archive symbols and stuff like that were all super super blurry like it was like looking at it if you weren't wearing glasses or something like that huh. i don't i don't know why it was like that um i messed around with a couple different settings but i couldn't really get the resolution or not resolution but i couldn't really get it to look clear maybe apps like that just load lower resolution assets on 1080p screens expecting people to be using them on larger screens where they might not notice because everything can be a bit blurry it's definitely possible but like comparing to other 1080p screens i have everything still looks sharp on the 1080p screens but it doesn't 
on Samsung. So I, I, don't, I don't know what the root cause is. It could have been some weird, you know, aliasing thing or software thing going on. Yeah, that was kind of one of the more disappointing aspects of the laptop. It would have been nice to see a, a better, more high quality screen, especially knowing that Samsung can produce pretty stellar screens. What about on the hardware side of things? Like, oh, did it come with like the latest mobile Intel chip? Like, what's the deal there? Yeah, so you can get the 11th gen Intel chips. There are i3, i5, and i7 models with, uh, I think, up to 32 gigs of RAM, depending on the configuration and the spec that you get. The Galaxy Book that I tried had an i3 and 8 gigs of RAM, and for the most part, it performed really well. I didn't push it through anything super difficult like Photoshop or anything like that, but I mostly just did web browsing and it was fine, I don't know, 90% of the time. And then every once in a while, I would have a little bit of a bout of lag. So for most people, I would say, unless you're doing or like, think about what you're going to use it for. The i3 will probably be fine for anybody who's just doing some light web browsing and word processing. If you want to do anything more than that, you're going to want the i5 at least. And, you know, realistically, it's not a cheap laptop. It's pretty expensive. So again, depending on what you want to do with it, like it's worth considering the price. And to me, it doesn't make a lot of sense to get a laptop and spend, you know, over a thousand dollars on it and only come away with an i3 processor, right? Like if you're already spending that much, at least spend the extra to get, you know, a decent processor in it. Especially when like you can get, you know, i3 laptops for, you know, five, $600 that will perform just as well. Yeah, the the last thing, I, and I guess you already answered it, like with, with tech devices, we come from a pl- place of privilege because companies send us stuff and we, we try all of these things. So with all that, that aside, like, is this the type of laptop you would recommend to like a friend or family? It's like, that's a question that I always like to come back to when I'm writing, writing my reviews. And I think especially in this case, that's something that, that uh, definitely applies. Yeah, I would generally recommend it to friends and family. Again, my thing with laptops is it always comes down to what you're actually using the laptop for. And, you know, I think if you are looking for, you know, a really high-end laptop that's super lightweight and thin and easy to carry around, the Galaxy Book definitely hits all of those marks. And if you're willing to forgive a potentially mediocre display, like that's really the biggest drawback I saw with it. So yeah, I think, I think the Galaxy Book is definitely a a good option for a lot of people if you're looking for that higher end experience. At the same time, there's plenty of budget options that will give you similar performance for less money. And on the higher end, like you could get a Surface Laptop 4, uh, which depending on the model you get, could be anywhere from $100 to $500 more. And you're going to get that better build quality. You're going to get some of those extra features like Windows Hello, where you facial recognition. The Galaxy Book just has fingerprint unlock, which is still really good, but it's not the face unlock on the Surface Pro. You're going to get a slightly better keyboard and stuff like that. So just, yeah, I, I, I would generally recommend it. The other thing I would say is I would probably recommend it to people who are a little bit more tech savvy because of all the bloatware. You know, I find that people who kind of know what they're doing with computers will find bloatware really annoying, but they'll know how to deal with it. Whereas people who aren't as computer savvy might get confused and wonder why they have three different calendar apps. And one of them is Samsung and one of them is Microsoft, you know. If you've used a Samsung phone, you're definitely, definitely familiar with that before. If you've used a Samsung phone. Yeah, it was, it was very much a Samsung, a, a galaxy experience when I was looking at the software, I was just like, why are there, you know, three different, you know, apps for connecting the laptop to my phone why 
Why is there a quick search app from Samsung that does the exact same thing as tapping the Windows key and typing in Windows 10, right? Like, Wait, so can you uninstall those apps? I didn't test all of them, but you there are definitely to. some you could probably remove. Windows, I think, is a little bit more lenient on that end compared to Android, where you can lock stuff to not be removed. So I, yeah, normally I take the time to go through and remove all the bloatware, but because I only had the laptop for a few days and I was trying to write my hands on, I didn't take the time to go through and remove the bloatware. I was going to say that it's not the worst bloatware experience I've ever seen on a laptop. I mean, from a numbers perspective, there's a ton of stuff, but there's definitely stuff in there that would be useful if you have a Galaxy phone or an Android smartphone. So I, I there's, you know, kind of a mix there of some useful stuff and some not useful stuff. And most of the stuff is from Samsung. So it's, you know, a little bit more trustworthy. Recently, I, I did the the LG Gram, uh, their 2021 version. And that one had a bunch of bloatware too. And some of it was just like really silly. Like there was some like DVD reading software on there and it doesn't even have a DVD player. And, oh God. you know, so um, definitely worse bloatware situations out there, uh, but not a great situation overall. The The main question with any Samsung product is what was the Fortnite skin like? <laughs> I, I don't think there was a Fortnite Exclusive skin. Exclusive Fortnite skins. Wow. I did not play Fortnite on it to try. Uh, I would not recommend it off. as a Fortnite playing device. Uh, <laughs> I know we have a bit of a hard out because you, you got to get to a briefing, right, John? So let's let's quickly move on to, to what we've been playing this week um, and move through it quickly so we can get to, get to the outro. Cause Wait, can be... I go first then? Because I'm the only yeah, one go, that's playing the game that people Do it. I know you about. wanted to talk about this a lot, so I'm, I'm sorry that you, you we, we have to cut it short. It's so good. So I played Half-Life Alex and Loop Hero. Half-Life Alex, if you have a VR headset, play it. That's all I'm going to say. Play it, play it, play it. Loop Hero, if you have any computer at all, also play it. It's like the most intense, like addictive game I've played in so long. Basically, there's a loop on your screen. It changes every loop every time you restart the game, essentially. And you place tiles on the loop or beside the loop. And they do different things. So you can place like a village tile on the loop. And that will heal you when you go through it. Um, but you could also place like a vampire mansion tile somewhere else. And that will like spawn a vampire that you have to fight, which is, you would think you don't want to do that, but you need to gain resources. You need to do fights. So you're always sort of structuring your loop for success of your player who you're not also in control. If you just go through the loop or he or she, I'm not actually sure. It's kind of generalist almost, but they go through the loop and then they get equipment. You can add different weapons to them or different armor or like a ring to power them up or, you know, boots to boost their evasion or get like vampirism. So you get some life steal. So basically building a loop and equipping your character for success. And the whole key of the game really is just like, it's so, so, so tightly tuned. Everything is a risk and a reward. So like, that's cool. You put the village down, but if you put two villages down, then a bandit camp appears beside that village. It becomes like a bandit village, or you can put a village down and then put a vampire mansion beside it, and it turns into a ransacked village that will spawn ghouls for three loops. But after that, the village becomes the Count's land and then heals you double what it did before. So that's like the risk-reward for that one. Or like you can place mountain tiles, and mountains give you extra... They raise your max HP. But if you put them in a 3 by 3 grid, they turn into like a towering mountain, which will give you like 200 HP boost. But it will also start to spawn harpies that will come down onto the loop and attack you. So you risk reward again. And everything is just so tightly tuned. It's it's hard. It's really hard to explain. But like 
the design of this game is impeccable. Like it is, there's nothing in there that seems overpowered or game breaking, or I'll just do this and get there. It's like, everything is just, you're walking on thin ice the whole time. Every, every decision carries the the weight that could make or break the loop. And it is, yeah, you essentially just want to keep looping to build up your base, to get resources. You can save them for your base that will allow you to build more buildings there to get new cards. So like the vampire mansion, the village, the farms, the rocks, those are all cards. And the more buildings you unlock in your base, the more cards you get to play. Although you can only have like a certain amount of cards in your deck. So there's also, you know, you got to like build it in that way. And it's it just, it's like $17 on Steam. It runs on PC. It runs on Mac. I've been playing it on a 2016 MacBook Pro. I don't think there's a GPU in this one. It's like the base level one. So runs fine. I've been playing it through Steam Link on an iPad. Also runs fine. Like it's just like, if you're looking for a a game that's a little bit different, not a shooter, but you still want something that's like super, super engaging and you want to think, you want to have like a notepad down, writing notes and like figuring it all out. And it, it it's just, it's so good. Everyone that I've got to play it so far is addicted. It sounds it is, sick. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I don't know if you tried it, John, or not because you're the other one. I, I haven't tried it yet. No. Yeah. So it's, I don't know. It's so, so good. Like if you're looking, I don't know if any, if you guys played Hades last year, Mm, I didn't, but I know I know a lot about it. So Hades came out last year, and it sort of tied the story of the roguelike into the game mechanic. Lupier also does that, but okay. also, you know, Hades was just good because everything felt like it had a consequence. Everything felt very real and very like impactful. And Lupier just dials that up even more. It's not the same type of gameplay. It is like a roguelike in a sense, but it's just so finely tuned. It is the developers are just brilliant it's it's really smart probably my game of the year maybe it's nuts john what have you been playing i've actually been playing titanfall 2 went back to that that gem free Uh, right free or something a day ago or basically a couple things happened on steam it was available free for the weekend so it wasn't like a free permanent download but you could download it and play the multiplayer without buying the game for the course of the weekend it's also on steam which is like huge it's been restricted to ea's uh store for a long time so it's come to steam it was available for free for the weekend i think it's been on sale for a while and it's like seven dollars or something like that so it's got a pretty significant player base right now like it's not the biggest game on the market but i think it's got a bigger player base now than when it launched which is significant um and the game was always sick it was such a good game but when titanfall 2 launched it launched right in between call of duty and whatever the battlefield game was that launched that year one or five maybe yeah so anybody who was a fan of first person shooters was playing call of duty or battlefield or both and not a lot of people had you know enough money or the desire to play titanfall 2 because that's three full price games that launched basically i skipped it for some reason I, i don't remember why yeah so, and it was a great game uh, at the time, and it still is a great game. So I've been playing that because of the higher player counts, uh, which is, has also been driven by Apex. Apex is really popular, and the new season has some storyline stuff that connects back to Titanfall 2. So that's kind of been pushing players to try it out. And it was just some good old old fun, smashing some people in Titans. Good old fun. Great time. Apparently the story is really stellar too. Brad Shankar talks about it being one of the best first-person shooter stories that he's played, I think. Yeah. I've always wanted really, to go back really and play it. One. It's great. If you're going to do it, now's the time. I would 
well, though this weekend would have been the time. I don't think it's free <laughs> anymore. But I think have... I think I have it through EA Access or EA Play, yeah. whatever it's called. Yeah. 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 Or if you if you have an Xbox, it's often on sale for like three dollars a dollar. Yeah, all the time. I was just gonna say that, yeah, near our old yeah. office. So I, I've just been playing Apex. I was off last week, so I I played a ton and I actually finished the battle pass for the first time in, in eight seasons. Hyped for season nine. And beyond that, I've also been playing new Pokemon Snap. Um I have a very nostalgic connection to that series. I think the thing that I'm struggling with it is that I'm just like I don't feel like playing a Pokemon Snap game right now. So it's a little bit like I got to force myself to play it, but it's great. It's mm. it's exactly like the N64 classic. You just take pictures of Pokemon and and the professor rates them and then you get points and you go to different courses. It's, it seems like a good game for parents to play with kids. Yeah, it's it's a cool game. And as I was playing it, and this is the last thing I'll say because I, I know we're over time, is just I think that that game is what got me interested in photography as a kid. And it taught me like a lot of the fundamentals, like the rule of thirds, keeping the subject framed properly, like very basic things. And I yeah. didn't realize that until I started playing new Pokemon Snap. So that's been been an interesting um, experience cool. rediscovering that. Yeah, let's let's wrap it up. That's it. Thanks for listening to the Syrupcast. You can find me on Twitter at, at Patrick underscore Rourke and of course on mobilesyrup.com. The only big thing that I've done recently is the AirTag story. I have a bunch of Apple stuff probably hitting the site uh, at some point this month but I don't have a specific date for that quite yet. Bennett, where can people find you? You can find me in Loop Hero, just going around the loop and <laughs> on Twitter at uh, the Brad Fad, Instagram at the Brad Fad, and on mobilestrap.com. And uh, I put up a cool opinion piece. I just had to get it out. I'm just like how much car infotainment and in-car software just makes me angry. I'm trying not to swear about it, but I'm, I just get real angry because it's so bad. But yeah, so that's up there and uh, hope you guys feel the same way. And John, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at John underscore Lamont. That's at J-O-N underscore L-A-M-O-N-T. And of course, on the website, mobilesyrup.com. Biggest thing I've written recently would be the Galaxy Book Pro hands-on. So definitely check that out if you want to learn more about the laptop based on what we said today. And yeah, that's basically it. And as always, you can find all of our content on mobilesyrup.com and also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at at mobilesyrup. Thanks for listening and watching. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.